of Ecclesiastes, after the book of Proverbs, and just before the Song of Solomon, around the middle of the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, and the book of Isaiah, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we are reading the first eight verses of this final chapter of what has proved to be a very fascinating and a very challenging book of Scripture. Now you will notice in the reading that there is a wonderfully poetic description of advancing old age in these eight verses of chapter 12. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach, when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds and all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed, or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. May God bless to our understanding this very strange but very wonderful passage of his own inspired word. Now, in these Sunday mornings currently, we are coming to the very last passages of the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we have been seeing on the last Sunday morning or so, we are dealing in these chapters with the greatest gift that God gives to mankind, the gift of life itself. How beautiful, how fragile, how quickly passing is that very precious gift of life that God has given to us. So last Sunday morning, you may recall that we looked at the verses preceding this passage on the subject of youth, the very beginning of life in infancy and youth. And we saw the remarkable counsel of this aged man, Ecclesiastes, the preacher, as he came to young people and he said to them, Rejoice, reflect, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, so that you can take this wonderful gift that God has given you of human life and use it as a building block and a stepping stone toward eternity itself, and not a stumbling block and an impediment in your way. 
Now this morning we have come to what is perhaps the second best known passage in this whole book of Ecclesiastes. The first best known one, of course, being chapter 3, the passage that begins, there is a time for this and there is a time for that. This is surely the second most quoted passage in the whole book. It is a very poetic passage, these eight verses, very sensitive. One of the most tender treatments of old age and death that you will find anywhere in the Bible. But a picture that is both graphic and challenging as well. The decay and the disintegration, finally, of the human body that goes down from its priming youth to the dust of death in verse 7 of our passage. There is a profusion of images almost stumbling over one another in the passage, describing in the utmost vividness the process of aging and dying. And you can almost hear the very accents of old age at the end of verse 1, where the old man says, I don't enjoy living anymore. The very accents of old age. Now it's an arresting passage and as we come to it this morning and look at it and begin to explore it together, you might already be saying to me, but I feel it's a very depressing passage of Ecclesiastes. This vividness of the description of aging and dying. And I want to remind you that in Romans chapter 15 verse 4 in the New Testament, we are told that everything written in the past in Scripture is written to teach us so that through the encouragement and hope of the Scriptures, we ourselves might have hope. And so the purpose of this passage, beloved, is not to depress and discourage you, but rather to lift you up and encourage you that you might live in this life with hope, because you are living in the right way before your Creator. My dear friends, what this passage encourages us to do this morning is not to look at human life pessimistically, but realistically, to face our own mortality in the last and longest treatment of that subject in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Now there are three things then that I want you to do with me this morning and the first of them is to look at the picture of man's mortality in verses 1 through the beginning of verse 7. We read the passage a few moments ago together and perhaps you didn't understand it fully but it is a remarkable picture a haunting picture of man's mortality, that he is going to be subject one day to dying and to death. The very accents, as I said, of old age are there. In verse 1 at the end, I have no pleasure in living any longer, says this poor old man. And at the end of verse 5, you see the funeral procession gathering at his house, 
and leaving it with the mourners in the street. And the end of the matter is in verse 7, with the dust returning to the ground from which it was taken. And between these two verses, 1 and 7, is a veritable profusion of images, giving to us, as I said, in the utmost vividness of language, the picture of man's mortality. Now, there are four ways in which the writer describes that process of human mortality. And I want you to look at them briefly with me, not to linger on them, but to see what he's really saying. In verse 2, he describes the process under the figure of winter. Now, winter in the land of Palestine was a very depressing season, much more depressing than our winters here in Florida, and probably more like the winters I was used to in my own country of Scotland, with overcast skies day after day, the rain and the drizzle and the dampness coming down, and no rays of sunshine breaking through, at least only rarely. And it's this picture that Ecclesiastes takes and uses, first of all, to describe man's mortality. Verse 2, before the days of trouble come, he is saying, and the years approach when you say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after rain. What is this? Well, there is a chill in the air. The clouds have come over and they are turning the daylight into gloom. And at night the cloud-covered sky is turning the light of the moon and the stars into pitch darkness that you can almost feel. And the rains come and they persist and they go on day after day after day. And you are there and you begin to shiver. When you think of the dark clouds and the ceaseless downpour, never broken by a single ray of sun. And that's what the picture of old age to this man is like. It's somber. And it describes pictorially the fading of physical and mental powers, the general desolation of the aged the light growing dark in the sky. Besides the loss of senses and faculties, it surely means that the old person loses his friends. They've predeceased him. The customs of society have changed. That which he was familiar with, that which was light in his life, has become something different now. The long-held hopes of his early days have now got to be abandoned. The clouds return after rain. In other words, there is no longer the resilience of youth, the prospect of quick recovery after illness. In those days of youth, troubles and illnesses were only temporary setbacks, weren't they? But now they are total disasters. And so often the old person can look no longer for improvement of his health or condition. 
and the clouds that have gathered once will quickly gather again, and time will no longer heal his aged and decrepit body as it gradually fails into the process of death. Winter, the picture of old age. But the second one in verses 3 to the beginning of 4, you notice, is one of the great household going into decline. It speaks of the slow approach of death under the figure of a bustling household that now is no longer to operate as once it did. And if you look at verse 3, the keepers of the house are almost certainly a poetic reference to the arms and legs that can no longer function. The strong men to the legs, the keepers of the house referring to the arms and the hands so that all these vital parts of the body are too weak now and too shaky to do their work any longer. They tremble and the strong men stoop. The legs become bowed and almost unable to carry the weight that is put upon them. The grinders cease because they are few. And under the picture of this busy household where normally there would be grinding going on continually to provide meal for the needs of the household, here is the poetic picture of the old man with fading arms and fading legs, now toothless. He is not able to grind his food anymore because teeth are either loose or fallen out altogether. Those looking out of the windows can no longer see clearly. A reference to the cataract-covered eyes of the aged who can no longer see things in sharp focus if they can see things at all. And at the beginning of verse 4, the doors to the street are closed. In other words, a picture of the ears that pick up the outside sounds of human life, the bustle in the street, the carriages passing along, the clip-clop of horses and their riders, now replaced by deafness. And yet, this same man also notices that even the loss of ability to hear background noises is his as well. The sound of the grinding fades. Everything is indistinct, which once he could hear so clearly and so well. Now the third picture, you notice, follows very quickly. At the end of verse 4 and through on to verse 5, here there are no metaphors, it's all direct language. Men rise up at the sound of birds, in other words, one characteristic of the aged is that they don't sleep long anymore. As soon as the birds are up, they're up at dawn in the morning. And all the songs at the end of verse 4 grow faint. In other words, it's a description of the aged's inability to enjoy music or even to make music anymore. And in verse 5, something that we can readily relate to again today the old people who are afraid of heights, they fear falling down steps. They're afraid of dangers in the streets, of being jostled by others as they make their difficult way along the sidewalk. The almond tree is blossoming, a reference to the color of the chair, hair changing from black 
to white with advancing age, and the grasshopper limping along as the weather grows cold. A very poetic way of describing the halting gait of the aged. And desire, says Ecclesiastes, is no longer stirred. Not only sexual desire, but all desire. The food that we eat no longer tastes the same. The drink that we once enjoyed no longer gives us the same pleasure. All the taste buds begin to fail in one's mouth. And then the final picture at the end of verse four, five of man going around his eternal home, going to his eternal home, and the mourners going about the streets. The funeral in progress. And so you have the picture of the progressive physical debility and decay of the human body as part of the inevitable price that we pay in the process of aging. Until we come, fourthly, to the final picture you notice in verse 6. And there are four emblems that Ecclesiastes uses to describe the actual arrival of death. The silver cord is severed. And it's a picture of a lamp with a golden bowl hanging from the ceiling. And one link in the chain suddenly fails. And the lamp crashes down. And it's a picture both of the preciousness of life and its fragility. And the golden bowl surrounding the lamp is broken and the light goes out. Or as the imagery changes, the pitcher that is carried to the well or the spring of water, being made of earthenware, is very fragile and someone drops it and it's shattered. And the useful life that you've lived is finished and over so suddenly. And the wheel that is used to draw up the water from the depths of the well is broken and you can no longer use it. And there's no water. And so you see the overall impact of these verses is that there will come an end finally to all familiar things that we have known. There'll be a last time for the familiar journey that we've made day by day. There'll be a last time for the ordinary, daily, mundane duty that we've accomplished so many thousands of times in life. There'll be an end to every task and every experience here on earth that we have known so well. And in verse 7, the body will return to the dust from which it was taken and the spirit return to the God who first gave it. Now you see in summary, what is the purpose of this vivid description of man's mortality? And the answer is that scripture encourages us, beloved, to be realistic. And you notice that I didn't say pessimistic, but realistic. Old age and death are coming to you. And we are reminded in the words of that great poem known as Gray's Elegy that the boast of heraldry and the pomp of power and all that beauty, all that welfare gave await alike the inevitable hour. The paths of glory lead but to the grave. 
and most of us here this morning may not yet have reached the time of life when we will say the days of trouble are upon us, the years when I say I have no pleasure in them anymore. But listen, they are not very far away. And old age and death are advancing upon us, and human life, precious and fragile, like the golden lamp inside its bowl, suspended from the silver cord, leads only one link to be broken, and it crashes in fragments to the floor. And it leads us then, secondly, to ask the question, why is this graphic picture there? Mortality's message. And I want you to notice this very carefully this morning. This vivid picture of aging and dying is there for a precise reason. In fact, I suggest to you for three precise reasons. And the first is this, it is a message to youth. Because when you're young, you never believe that one day you will be old. You boys and girls here in this service this morning, you probably look at the older members of the congregation. There are not many of them, but there are some. And you say, old? They were born that way. Young. I will stay that way. And I was talking to a member of this congregation only a few days ago who remembers when she was a child seeing her grandmother painfully try to thread a needle, holding it away from her, not because her sight had failed so much as her arms were not long enough. And could she thread that needle? And the little girl could do it almost with her eyes shut. And she didn't believe that her grandmother really had that kind of trouble. Or you think of the little boy who once said to his grandfather, Grandfather, were you in the ark with Noah? Why, no, son, said the grandfather, rather surprised, thinking that he'd got out of that quite well. Well then, said the little boy with a puzzled expression on his face, how come you weren't drowned with all the other people? But there comes a point, you young people, when you realize it's happening to me. I will sit there where these old men and these old women sit now with their loose teeth and their spectacles and their feeble arms and their legs that are all bent and bowed that can't carry the weight put upon them anymore. I will sit where they sit. And Ecclesiastes wants you younger people to see this now. Because the day is coming, my young friends, when your limbs will no longer be strong, your faculties will no longer be sharp. And when you might want to turn to God, then, my young friends, probably you will not be able to do so. Because your memory and your awareness of the need to turn to God will no longer be as sharp and clear as it is now. So you see, it's a message to the young, isn't it? 
that in the midst of the excitement of being young, when men and women, boys and girls, are most likely to forget God and say he's for old people, but not now. At that time is the important time to seek him while you have the energy now that you will never in your life have to the same degree again. And I say to you who are parents, there is nothing more important in your family than for children, your children, to become believers while they are still in their youth. As I heard of one godly young woman, a widow, who said to her son as he was growing up, I don't mind what you become later on in life, Stephen. I only care for one thing, that however you use your life, you will be a man of God and put your Creator first in all you do. But the second reason, you see, why this passage is here is not just a message to youth. It's a message to all of us, a message for the present time. And it says to us, now is the present time to seek the Lord. Now is the time to remember God, while life is a thing to enjoy and not to endure. You see, the message is to those of us who are in our twenties or our thirties or our forties or fifties in midlife, that the declining years are already setting in. The day is coming when you as a wife, if you don't do this now, are going to look at your husband and say to him, well, even though you're bald and you have bunions and you're bow-legged and you wear bifocals, I still love you, dear. And that's going to happen when all too soon the storm that we read about in verse 2 is going to overcloud the present noonday of your life and the days of warmth and brightness that you're enjoying now and unrestrained joy will be over and the hands and the arms that are now so steady will tremble and the legs bend with weakness and your hearing decline, and you'll have that funny thing behind your ear on both sides, and your teeth will be falling out, and your eyes will become too dim to read the Scriptures. And you'll be afraid, as we saw in the picture, to go out in the streets, and you'll be so weak one day that you're hardly able to drag yourself along and listen the funeral bell is tolling and the mourners are gathering in the street and man is going to his eternal home and the body to the dust from which it was taken and the spirit to God who gave it. And what Ecclesiastes is saying to you and to me this morning is these things are certainties. So seek God now while you possess the faculties you do. Do you see what he's doing? He's urging something that is really basic, to lose no time. Because it's a well-known fact that very few come to faith in God in later years. 
God saves some in later years to glorify His grace, but not many of them. Why? Because the Scripture says that the favored time to seek God and know Him and serve Him and love Him is now in youth and in those early years of our lives before the days of darkness come. Now the third message I want you to notice is this, that it points us to our Creator. In a remarkable way, both in verse 1 and if you look again at the beginning of verse 6, we are reminded twice over to show the importance of what the preacher is saying, to remember your Creator, or in verse 6, remember Him. And that's why I say to those of you who may have read this passage before you came to the service and you say, well, this is so pessimistic and discouraging. I say to you, it isn't. There is a positive thrust, beloved, in this whole passage of Scripture. Here are the inevitable facts, he says. Face them. Aging and dying will come to you. You cannot escape it. But this should not lead you into despair. But what? Into action. Remember him who gave you your life in youth, to whom you are accountable in all the days of your life, before whom you will one day stand when life is finally over. What is your response to him? And the word creator is well chosen, isn't it, by Ecclesiastes? Because our life belongs to him. It's sustained by him. It one day will stand before him. And if you are here in this service, as I said to you all last Sunday morning, living on the king's lands, eating the king's food, breathing the king's air, enjoying the health the king has given to you, and all the countless blessings of this life, yet you can scarcely spare a single thought for the king. What a tragic and terrible condition of soul you are truly in. Now you see, this creator knows the passage of all our lives in all our circumstances as we have seen all through this book. And if you forget him, beloved, your life will be a desert. But if you remember him, the desert will rejoice and blossom as the rose. And it's simply plain common sense in the end, isn't it? Not to put off till old age what can bless your youth and middle age so profoundly and keep your old age from being the wretched picture that Ecclesiastes describes for us here. So he says to us, remember him. It's not a perfunctory command. It's not a mere mental act. But when the Old Testament word remember is used in Hebrew, it means thinking upon something with a view to taking decisive action about it. And it says to us, 
Drop your pretense this morning. Drop your self-sufficiency today and commit yourself to him to whom you belong. Because the period of failing powers is no time to begin remembering God. Now this leads me to the third and final thing that is before us this morning. And it's the memorable memorials. There is a picture not only of man's mortality in this passage and mortality's message, but you notice the memorable memorials of verses 5 at the end and 7 at the end and in all of verse 8. Because you see this haunting picture of man's mortality, his steady decline into aging and death, ends up with two very different funerals being described. I wonder if you noticed that. And two very different epitaphs written upon two very different exoduses from this life. Look at them as we close today. There is the epitaph or the memorial written for the unbeliever in verse 7 and verse 8. His epitaph is recorded for him by the preacher, particularly in verse 8. What is written on this man's tombstone as he goes down into death? Meaningless. Meaningless. My whole life has been without meaning. Now throughout the whole book we've heard this refrain, haven't we? We've seen it again and again repeated for us. Now we hear it, beloved, for the last and the final time in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's written over such a person's grave as this. The man described in verses 1 through 7. Look at that description again. That wretched old man who never remembered his creator in the days of his youth. And now he has no hope in God. He has no joy. He's feeble in wind and limb, going down into the dust of death, dying out at last. And that is what rejoicing in the days of your youth and doing whatever your eyes delight in comes to when a man does not remember God. And there is nothing more miserable than this picture of the ill-conditioned, aged old man who lost early on all his earthly joys and never found anything to replace them. Let me ask you this morning, is that your condition here in this service? Is that going to be the epitaph written on your tombstone, if you're honest? Useless, useless, my life has been uselessly spent. And the reason that you came there is exactly the reasons we've seen in this book that you reject the counsel of God.
until there comes a point in your life when your character, my dear friend, is so set permanently in all its ways that you cannot any longer launch yourself out on holy thoughts even if you wanted to. And as we saw in this passage, all desire for spiritual things has long gone and been poisoned by the bitterness in which you have lived out your days. And how can tired bodies, beloved, and senile minds be capable of recording and recollecting now all the things they ever heard of God's goodness and grace and willingness to forgive sinners. And you will have found out, alas, what many of us already know from the Scriptures, that old age is frequently a time that is too late to turn to God. And you will be like Bertrand Russell, that modern philosopher, that atheist, who hated the Christian religion and the Christian church, who said as he looked death in the face, listen to his words, there is darkness without, said Bertrand Russell, and when I die there will be darkness within as well. There is no splendor, there is no vastness in the universe, only triviality for a moment. And then, nothing. How utterly empty a life like that can be because a man has never learned the lessons that Ecclesiastes would teach us. And all that a man like that can do in the end, my dear friends, is wring his hands in despair and say, meaningless, meaningless, my whole life is summed up in that. But you notice that thankfully that's not the only epitaph in this passage. Look at the end of verse 5 and the end of verse 7. How different this epitaph from verse 8. Man, says Ecclesiastes, goes where? To his eternal home. And the Spirit at the end of verse 7 returns to God who gave it? There is not here in these verses, I suggest to you, the fearful looking for of judgment to come. But here is promise. Here is light at the end of the darkness. It might almost appear that nothing has led us home in the book of Ecclesiastes. Nothing, after all, he's told us is ours to keep under the sun. But you see, we would be badly mistaken, wouldn't we? Because do you notice that he's told us there's a creator? He's pointed us beyond living under the sun and within the limits of this life. He's told us that old age and death even are not the end of us because there's a creator whose purposes with us have not finished. No, they haven't. Because man is on the journey to his eternal home. And though the body decays in dust and becomes the very elements again from which it was originally taken, the spirit God-given, the real me, goes back to the creator who first gave it.
And beloved, mark you well this. There is continued personal conscious existence in the very presence of God. For the man who is a believer, doesn't the light shine in here? Don't you hear echoes of the New Testament breaking in over the book of Ecclesiastes? As Jesus said in John 14, verses 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And the words of Jesus in his death upon the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit now. Yes, the death of the believer is different. An entrance into glory, a coming to Christ, an entry into heaven, a coming to bliss, the experience of peace, the knowledge of a new existence. It was C.H. Spurgeon who said, If I may die as I have seen some Christians die, I caught the great occasion. I would not wish the escape of death by some by-road, if I may sing as I have seen them sing. The two epitaphs. Which is yours this morning? Man's mortality. Are you listening to its message? Every single heartbeat of that message. What kind of memorial awaits you at the end of your life? Is it verse 8? Or is it Philippians chapter 1? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or 1 Corinthians 4? Though this outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. As pilgrims and strangers in this world, are you saying this morning in the light of this passage, the sooner, the better? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we find this passage is so deeply challenging. and We pray that its message, so positive and real, may grip our hearts and minds and lead us, if we are not already in that position of being reconciled to God, into that blessed privilege of knowing the forgiveness of sin and the readiness to meet our Creator at that great day. So may that blessed memorial be ours and the spirits return to God who gave them for Christ's sake. Amen.